0: This week on Wealth Track, noted fixed income investor Kathleen Gaffney believes we are at an important inflection point with major repercussions for bonds. Eaton Vance's Kathleen Gaffney is next on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack. New York Life, along with Mainstay's family of mutual funds, offers investment and retirement solutions so you can help your clients keep good going.
1: Additional funding provided by Thornburg Investment Management, Active Management, Flexible Perspective, Ku and Patricia Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences, Rosalind P. Walter and the Fairholm Foundation.
0: Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Question. What have been two of the most distinctive features of the recovery from the financial crisis of 08 and 09? Answer, historically low levels of inflation and interest rates. Despite years of numerous predictions to the contrary, inflation has stayed stubbornly subdued, and with some help from central banks around the globe, so have interest rates. But is this nearly decade-long pattern finally being broken? Well, this week's guest says yes, and there is evidence to back her claim. As a recent headline in The Wall Street Journal reads, Inflation the slumbering giant begins to stir. To illustrate the point, the journal showed a chart of year-over-year changes in consumer prices in the UK, US, and Eurozone. They bought them in 2015 and have slowly risen with fits and starts ever since. Japan has shown a similar pattern. Meanwhile, interest rates on benchmark 10-year government bonds show a similar trend, with U.S. rates ticking higher recently and yields in Germany and Japan off their mid-2016 lows. There have been other episodes of rising inflation and interest rates before this which didn't last. This week's guest is betting this one is for real. She is Kathleen Gaffney, Director of Diversified Fixed Income at Eaton Vance, where she is also the lead portfolio manager of the Eaton Vance Multi-Sector Income Fund, which she launched as the Eaton Vance Bond Fund when she joined the firm in early 2013. The fund is known for its flexibility to seek higher total return opportunities wherever available in the world and the capital structure of the companies chosen. Now That approach has also meant significantly more volatility than its peers in Morningstar's multi-sector bond category. Case in point, the fund declined 17 percent in 2015 and rocketed up 22 percent in 2016, a reason it now carries a two-star rating. She is also lead portfolio manager of the somewhat more traditional Eaton Vance Core Plus bond fund. It carries a five-star rating and is ranked in the top performance percentiles for the last one, three, and five-year periods under her leadership and past managers. I asked Gaffney if we are at a turning point from the lower-for-longer interest rate and inflation climate that investors have become accustomed to.
1: I think we're at a very important inflection point. It may not turn quickly, and There are really two pieces to the story here. The first being that we've ended the secular decline in interest rates, I believe. Interest rates, however, are very low. And so it's been a very challenging environment for investors who've become accustomed to clipping those coupons and living on a fixed income. 2% doesn't get you very far. Right, does not do it. So, if we're moving to a higher rate environment, that is a good thing. But then you get into appreciation or price depreciation mm-hmm. because as interest rates move higher, bond prices go down. Right. And so it will be, I think, fairly painful for investors who've thought about bonds as your anchor to windward, your steady eddy, your safe haven. That getting back to just a normal level of interest rates. um, And a normal level, I would say, would reflect growth potential in the U.S. economy and some rate of inflation. You think that there is inflation out there, but that the markets are ignoring it? Is that right? Where are you seeing inflation? I'm seeing inflation really around the globe. Mm -hmm. But here in the U.S., you're seeing it with tight labor markets. And we've actually seen evidence of wages starting to pick up, average hour hourly earnings are going up, and that is a sign of tight markets, tight markets in terms of human capital, but also tight in that we haven't seen a lot of investment across our industries for a very long time. So when demand does pick up, it's going to be hard to get that going things are going to get much more expensive, at least relative to what we've experienced over the last 10 years. Expectations are really anchored. And what I believe is going to happen is that expectations are going to become unanchored by inflation surprises. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing it here in the U.S., but even overseas, German inflation is also coming in around 3%. And we know how... Uh, focused the Europeans and the Germans in particular on about uh, inflation. Right. Because of their hyperinflation right history. Exactly. Right. And in Asia, you're also seeing pockets of inflation. Now, China is slowing, but it's the tightness in the markets and its growing middle classes that will put pressure on the demand for resources, both natural resources and financial
0: resources. So, and why is inflation so key to understanding what interest rates are going to do, and and what uh, therefore what bond prices are going to do?
1: Well, I, I think part of what's gone on over the last decade is that, one, the central banks have tried to get growth going, and we've been in recovery, uh, but. The next stage is to really continue that growth and to get investment to sustain the growth. Right. We're all concerned about productivity levels. Uh, There hasn't been a lot of investment. But as as prices start to increase, companies will begin to spend. And if wages are rising, they're going to need to spend to be able to cover the wages as prop. Profit margins are challenged. So this is your typical business cycle. We just haven't seen it in a very long time. From, so from a bond investor's point of view,
0: you're saying that at this point that you should, if you're, you know, look at your U.S. bond holdings and, and that you should start you know, thinking about shifting more overseas that kind of underweight your, your U.S. bond
1: positions. Why? I think it's a good time for investors to start really thinking about what fixed income can do for them. Okay. Historically, we think about it as income, primarily, yes. and safety. But if the returns are going to be negative, and all of that is, is simply bond math, coupon, time to maturity and the change in the level of interest rates over time. Interest rates going up means at very, lo- at very low interest rates, you don't have enough coupon to make up for the price difference. So right. we're looking at negative returns. So it's interest rate risk that is the primary risk you want to avoid right now. But that doesn't mean get out of bonds. Mm-hmm. It means what can bonds do for me other than Generate a fixed income, and what can they do for me? Other than generate fixed income, they can generate return by taking different types of risks. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, historically we've gone into credit in the U.S. We've gone into high yield or right. junk, so lower in quality, uh, some degree of uncertainty about getting paid back. But in a good economy you're more likely to get paid back. And you get higher returns for taking that risk. Right. The challenge is, in this low-rate environment, interest rate risk is not what you want to take on. But even credit risk doesn't compensate you, mainly because you want to compare the level of a corporate bond to the risk-free rate, corporate spread.
0: Right. So to treasuries. Right. The treasury maturity equivalent or whatever. Exactly.
1: And that's tight. It's not big enough. And in high yield, in particular, where you've got companies where they may be challenged to pay you back, uh, the absolute level of rates, the rate of return, inside of 5% really doesn't compensate you for the credit risk, the company risk. The spread, you can convince yourself that the spread is more than you would get in treasuries, but if treasury yields are going to go up, Corporate bonds are also going to follow that, and you need to get paid for that credit risk. So that's why looking away from the U.S. helps to diversify from thinking you're taking credit risk when you're actually taking more interest rate risk. So that's interesting. Just explain that Um, concept to me again. So you can take credit risk in high-yield or you could buy a U.S. corporate bond. Right. You could buy uh, Amazon. Mm -hmm. You could buy Apple. We know those are good companies and they're growing. Uh, However, because they're solid companies, their yield isn't that much higher than a treasury. Right. So as rates move up here, you're going to see negative returns, even though they're great companies. Bond math. You could also own a high-yield company, Tesla, Netflix. Those are all pretty exciting stories. Mm -hmm. Their bonds are currently yielding in the four percent five percent area and yet their their credit ratings are 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 junk status they are junk below investment grade below investment grade okay great growth stories and a lot of investors believe that if i can pick up 200 300 basis points over a treasury and tesla's going to the moon or next netflix is going to be Mm -hmm. where we watch all our uh... TV and entertainment shows, uh, that there's no worry about them not being able to pay you back. And and when you said
0: 200, 300 basis points, that's 2% or 3% in percentage points higher than what you could get in a treasury. But do you think that those are are good risks to
1: take? I think those are risks that I would not choose to take right now. Mainly because they're growing fast, which means the companies themselves are spending a lot of money. Right growing. They may not be able to pay you back five years from now or four years from now. And if that's the case, um, collecting a coupon of 4% for a few years doesn't compensate you for the amount of risk you've taken. Right. You
0: told me in an, an earlier conversation that so country and currency are really key these days in this low interest rate environment is what countries and what currencies? One of the countries
1: that we have exposure to is Brazil. Latin America historically uh, has been thought of as uh, a populist region. Right. Uh, we've seen dictators, we've seen uh, defaults. <laughs> uh, it has not been a very friendly uh, area to invest in. However, Brazil benefited from the high surge in commodity prices as China started to really grow. And they were able to uh, attain an investment grade rating. They got a, a taste of what it's like to have access to the broader capital markets, and they saw the benefits in their middle class, which began to increase their standard of living. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been a huge positive, and I think for, for in, in societies, when you get a taste of a better life. quality of life, mm-hmm. it inspires you. And what we're seeing is a clampdown on corruption, uh, that the, the, the Brazilian policymakers are becoming much more mainstream. They're looking to put in place the right institutions. Uh, and that's in contrast to some of what we're seeing in the developed world. And this is a juncture where I think the world has really
0: flip-flopped. So that's so interesting. So the populism that we're seeing in the developed world versus what you're saying is kind of more traditional, conservative, fiscally conservative, whatever, um, in, in the emerging markets or developing world. So, it's, it, so the roles
1: have kind of reversed in some respects? Exactly. Yeah. It is, it is just so funny that you for periods of time, trends stay in place and then they shift. And I, I think that's what's so interesting for investors right now is that it's time to shift gears and think about how returns from global investing uh, will be very beneficial. Uh, and Brazil is a good example, and, and we believe that the country risk there is improving, and because of that, that Brazil will be able to attract capital and investment uh, outside the area into Brazil, and that should allow their currency to appreciate. So currency then becomes another driver of return. So in Brazil, we have exposure to Brazilian government bonds, uh, and that is denominated in Brazilian real. So we're taking sovereign credit risk right? Uh, and we're also taking currency risk. But we see the fundamentals, just as you would look at a corporate balance sheet here in the US, as changing for the positive. Are there any opportunities like that in the developed world? In the developed world, I can still find good company fundamentals because the economy is doing well. I think it's more challenging though if you don't have the flexibility to think more broadly in certain asset classes. So we talked about high yield. Right. You can think of high yield as a below investment grade rating, U.S. companies that are highly levered, but high yield can also be emerging market corporate debt. It can be convertible bonds. It can be bank loans. Um there are lots of ways to get to get exposure to below investment grade uh, companies or countries, uh, but you have to really have a broader universe in order to do that. Let me ask you about another a,
0: a paradigm shift that you have identified, and that was is that the the President of China, uh, President Xi, has just the headlines are, He's taken on the mantle of Mao, that he's basically ensured himself that he's not going to be, you know, uh, there's not going to be any competition, that he's, his position is unassailable. So he's, you know, definitely, has consolidated his power. And you think that this is a huge change, and, and not just political, but it's significant for the markets as well. How, how is it significant?
1: The world is becoming a lot more tense, and countries are flexing their muscles very different from what we've experienced over the last 30 years. So my expectation is it's not that China is a great investment opportunity. I just think it's important to watch them very closely. Japan is responding. And I see a containment uh, occurring in the Asian region, that there could be a military buildup. in response to some of the uncertainties, the geopolitical risk. It also means that Japan, with more investment, could also really start growing. Mm-hmm. You think back to the 60s, for us, that military buildup, Right, for the Vietnam War. Right. ...was part of what drove inflation. Mm-hmm. And now there's a real reason. Uh, Japan has a reason to defend its sovereignty. Mm-hmm. And That I think is going to be an important shift in the market. How does this affect the fixed income markets? Uh, You know, what do you do with this information? There are market implications. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right now, the dollar has been recently strengthening because the central bank is talking about unwinding the balance sheet. Right. Uh, We're growing, we're leading the rest of the globe, but in reality, China's assertion and its focus on being influential is embracing growth and investing around the world. Their one belt, one road strategy is creating demand in other emerging nations that will help support China's growth. Europe is battling with their own political situation, and we're seeing growth there. So My guess is that it's not just the U.S. that's going to be unwinding their balance sheet. It's going to be the policy actions, more fiscal-oriented out of Europe and now, uh, particularly in Asia, that you're going to see interest rates converge more than have the U.S. lead them. And that means that the dollar is probably topping out here. There's been depreciation through most of 2017, about 10%. But with the thought that interest rates are going to move higher here, we're starting to see some dollar strength. That tells me if, if other currencies are weaker, you've got a good buying opportunity here. Assets. In non-dollar Dollar assets. strength causes other currencies to fall in price. But if you believe that the dollar is topping out, And the dollar is going to continue to decline because they won't. Interest rates will converge instead of the U.S. being the high-yielder. Europe, even Japan, they're going to start raising their
0: interest rates, and then therefore they'll they'll be a competitive rates to the U.S. Yes. So therefore, what are you doing (laughs) (laughs) as as a fixed income, a diversified fixed income manager? How, how are you,
1: you know, investing in this with these changes going on? It has been a really challenging market. So first of all, I've got about 15% in cash right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is in the multi-sector or the core plus or both? In both. In both. In both. So
0: that's, that's a pretty high cash position for you, right? It is. Right.
1: And it, it's reflective of the fact that I don't see a tremendous amount of value out there. Right. Uh, but it doesn't mean I'm seeing no value. Uh, I am, in fact, very diversified. Mm -hmm. There are many different sectors in in the funds, both funds. Uh, The sectors that I am finding the most interesting opportunities um, in credit, Mm -hmm. investment grade, and high yield, uh, I have been buying emerging market corporates. Mm -hmm. So this is a good example of getting away from the U.S., not taking currency risk because the bonds are denominated in U.S. dollars, but in terms of credit risk, you're receiving a higher yield, more income than you would get here in the U.S. We're finding good value there. In fact, the high yield component, I can hold a maximum of 35 percent. I'm at roughly 25 percent right now and at least a third of those corporate holdings are emerging market corporates. So it's good value. Kathleen, we, I always hate to ask our, our
0: guests this because uh, it's, it's very hard to pick one investment. But if there is one investment that we should all own some of in a long-term diversified portfolio, so this is only part of a portfolio, what would you have us own?
1: Well, we talked a lot about global So bringing it back to home, because I do think that there still is value if you look around in the U.S., uh, I'm going to say Lennar. They're a home builder. Uh, The multi-sector fund does have some flexibility to hold some equities. And home building, when I started in the business, not too long after, we had a financial crisis with the banks and it hit the home builders. Right. Then we had the global financial crisis, and that was driven by mortgage financing. And here we are entering into a rising rate environment. Home builders are going to benefit because they've got the pricing power. The labor markets in construction are really tight, and home builders have been very astute, the smart ones, about uh, having just the right amount of land uh, and for those that have it and think very uh, broadly about uh, their markets, I think that's an opp- opportunity. I like Lennar because they've got exposure in California as well as in Texas. Oh. So there's a little bit of uncertainty there, partly because of the uh, energy prices
0: right. and, and partly because... hurricanes and, right, natural disasters.
1: So... It's a, it offers good value in a, uh, area, an area and industry that's going to, th- I think, benefit from the pent-up demand and the increased incomes that we're going to see. Um, so it's time to get back into those types of companies. Diversified, flexible, opportunistic. We'll leave it there. Yes. Kathleen Gaffney, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Gonzuela. Good to be here.
0: At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is don't be afraid to take investment risks. Just know when you are. Kathleen Gaffney has a long track record of managing high performing and high volatility bond funds, first at Loomis Sales under bond legend Dan Fuss, and now as a diversified fixed income team leader at Eaton Vance. But as we learned in today's interview, fixed income investing is usually not the staid coupon clipping exercise it used to be. The world and markets have changed dramatically. Gaffney is upfront about the kind of opportunistic and, yes, more volatile funds that she leads. There are other managers and firms that are not. Save yourself a lot of grief by researching any fund, active or passive, before you buy. Well, next week, why is financial planning so important to happiness? Christine Mitchum, CEO of Wells Fargo Asset Management, has some answers. In the meantime, to see this episode again and others, please go to our website, WealthTruck.com, and while there, click on our extra feature with Kathleen Gaffney about how she finds time to think in the midst of information overload. Also, feel free to reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us on this Veterans Day weekend. We salute all of you who have served, including my dad, husband, and son, We are so grateful for their sacrifice and service on our behalf. Make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.